Hello, I am Kevin Smith, and you have found the Terminator Training Show, your one-stop shop for no BS training, nutrition, and health information. For more, please go to TerminatorTraining.com. Thank you for tuning in, and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Terminator Training Show. I am Kevin Smith, here today with some Q&A questions to get to. I uh, got about 10 of them, so we'll see how many we get to. There's some really good questions this week, so hopefully I don't get too carried away. Uh, some, as you guys, if you've listened before, you probably have heard me get carried away, but I just am really into this stuff and I'm passionate about it. So yeah, no promises, but we'll try to get to as many as we possibly can. Right before we get into the show real quick, I just want to give you guys a update on a new program that I have created. This program is an app-based program on the platform Train Heroic, T-R-A-I-N, Heroic, H-E-R-O-I-C. Uh, that's a app that you can, you can purchase the program. You can either do like one-time programs or you can kind of join a monthly payment training team. Right now I just have a one-time program. It's 10 weeks long. But anyway, you purchase it, you get, you download the app, and you can follow the program just right from your phone. You can record everything from your phone. It's interactive, so you can comment on your workouts. You can ask questions, and I'll answer them. Uh, so, yes, I do have PDF programs on my website, and I like PDF programs a lot. I know a lot of you guys do too, but not everyone does. Some people would rather just have an app on their phone that they can pull out and make everything like an all-in-one, all-inclusive program. So... Anyway, if you're interested in that, it is intended for just muscle building. It's, it's kind of like a bodybuilding program. It's called a the Terminator Training Method Bro Split Plus. It is a bro split is kind of like people when they think of bro splits, it is something like a one body part per day and then one body part per week split so like monday's chest tuesday's back wednesday's legs etc um, that's not even though that was like the original split back in like the muscle building magazines before like the internet came out and there were a lot of studies done on training frequency and how often you should hit each muscle group that was like the split that a lot of people use that's a lot of it's it's called a bro split because it's like a lot of bro science it's not like scientifically proven by um, by data to be the most effective way to train. So uh, it, it can work if you are like enhanced or if you have great genetics. But ideally, you're going to hit muscle groups twice a week or sometimes even three times a week, depending on your experience level and uh, your goals, etc. So this program is the Bro Split Plus because each day has a primary muscle focus but also a secondary muscle focus so for example like monday you'll train chest but you also do one or two exercises for the quads tuesday you'll train back but you also do one or two exercises for the lower body posterior chain uh, so glutes hamstrings calves things like that so it's a it's a very unique split you don't see the split very often but it's kind of like an educated bro split or an educated body bodybuilding split that is more ideal for you know regular people who just want to gain muscle get more jacked drop some body fat things like that so it's more advanced to, intermediate to advanced can definitely follow this program each program has a video link so you can literally see a video demonstration of every single exercise. Most of them are myself doing the demo, not every single one. There are some exercises in there that I, I don't have demos for. I will in the future, but not quite yet. But yeah, everyone, every exercise has a detailed explanation, detailed video, and there's a little bit of conditioning in there. It's technically optional. You don't have to do it, but it's like two days a week of 30 to 45 minutes of zone two you can do more or less than that too if you want and then one day you do some strongman stuff just to maintain a little bit of functionality so some carries sled pushes things like that but anyway if you're interested i tend i i will post this in my story a few times with a link that you can just click on to check it out or you can go to trainheroic.com go to the marketplace it's right across the top and then search for terminator uh terminator training and you will come to that page and you'll be able to check it out. There's a sample week on there as well. So yeah, just figured I'd let you guys know if you guys are interested in a PDF program, as always, 
they are on my website, terminatortraining.com. But yeah, let's get into today's questions. JRiz57, my man JRiz. Pre-workout nutrition for very early morning training. For example, wake up at 0430 and begin training within one hour. So training, it kind of depends on what kind of training you're doing. If we're talking about like a hard weight lifting session, you probably want to get some some food in you or some some calories and it doesn't i'll get into this but it doesn't necessarily have to be uh solid food if you're doing easy stuff like low intensity cardio zone two type stuff you can you can eat if you want but you definitely don't have to eat and you'll be totally fine if you don't eat training fasted like if you're doing like fasted morning cardio you know that's like an old bro myth on the topic of you know bro science it's not, yes, you burn body fat when you're doing, when you don't have food in your stomach, but that doesn't mean that you're going to, you still have to eat in a calorie deficit in order to lose body fat. And that's all that matters. It doesn't matter if you ate before you did cardio. It doesn't matter if you didn't eat before you did cardio. What matters is your overall calorie intake on, on a consistent basis. So that whole training fasted is not more beneficial than generally speaking it can have some performance benefits but we're, we're not really talking about that generally speaking it's not more beneficial than training with with food in you so it, for zone two eat if you want don't eat if you don't want but for for strength training i would you have depending on how many calories per day you're eating if you're eating in a surplus or if you're eating at maintenance this is actually a little bit less important because the food you eat on a regular basis, the food you ate before, two days before, etc., you're not in a energy deficit. So you probably can get through a standard strength training workout, nothing too crazy, like hour, hour 15, maybe hour and a half workout without food if you want. Uh, but I know some people do like to eat something. I, I personally do, even <clears throat> even if I'm in a calorie surplus, I still like to eat something or consume something with calories in it before I train early morning. So if you are hungry, yes, I would absolutely eat something. But I know a lot of people are not hungry first thing in the morning. This is like the one time a day where I'm not hungry at all. Like I don't want to eat anything. But I do know that I'll have a better workout if I get some calories in. So if you're hungry, absolutely eat something. Just consider the fiber content of what you're eating. So you want to eat carbohydrates, but you don't want to eat like really high fiber carbohydrates, especially if you are eating like say 45 minutes or less before your workout. You don't want to eat a lot of, a ton of fat. So I would, if any, like you probably don't want, but you want barely any fat. Um, You can eat a little bit of carbs, a little bit of protein. Or just carbs. Um, I, although fruit has fiber in it, you can definitely do fruit, honey, cream of rice. They, they make little Kodiak flapjacks that are pretty good. They also make oatmeal, but again, like oatmeal is pretty high in fiber. So I would kind of be a little bit cautious of that. You can do some sort of protein bar or bar that's kind of higher in carbohydrates if you so choose. You can also do supplements. Uh, if you don't, if you're not hungry, but you still want to get some calories in you, you can do some supplements. You can do juice, Gatorade. They make cyclic dextrin supplements or highly branched uh, cluster dextrin, and that can work really well. It's just fast digesting, easily utilizable carbohydrates, and you can mix protein, a little bit of protein, with that as well. The protein's a little bit less important as long as you're getting enough protein per day uh, pre-workout. Like your body has enough amino acids cycling through um, that as long as you're eating somewhat close to when you finish working out. So within an hour or two, you probably don't need protein, but it's really fine to get protein, especially if you, if you struggle to hit your protein each day. But overall, like if you're in a calorie surplus, this doesn't matter as much, but you still absolutely can. If you're in a deficit, this is a little bit, in my opinion, more important to consider because if you're in an energy deficit, your body is doesn't have as much fuel from what you regularly eat or what you ate the day before in order to provide as much energy as you pro- you probably want in order to get a really good workout in. So your workouts are probably going to be a little bit 
you know, more lackluster when you're in a deficit, especially if you have been for a long time. But if you're in a deficit and you're, especially if you're eating low carbohydrate, I would definitely time your carbs around your workout. This can definitely uh, increase your performance. So I personally usually do a banana with some honey about 30 minutes prior to my workout. I just literally just put honey on the banana and eat it. And that works pretty well. And then I sip on pomegranate juice when I work out, not only for the carbohydrate content, but also because it is high, it improves your blood flow. So it's great for pumps. It's a little bit expensive. So I understand if you don't want to get that, but you can really do any juice. The, the good thing about juice is compared to fruit in this situation, but for pretty much any other situation, fruit is better, is that it has way less fiber in it than fruit. So consider that, drink your calories, eat them if you want, uh, but don't don't get too into the weeds on, you know, perfect pre-workout foods, etc. And another mistake people make on this one is waking up extra early to get more food in and sacrificing sleep. So that you're better off getting another hour of sleep and eating nothing than you are getting up an hour early, losing that hour of sleep. And just because you think that getting a pre-workout meal in is important. So don't make that mistake. I've made that mistake plenty of times and it's not worth it. It doesn't work out well. So hopefully that helps. Next question. Chandan, Chandan does fitness. Does working through minor injuries and being creaky just come with lifting for years? So injuries, minor injuries, I would say is not, not good. Um, whatever you're doing that's causing your injury or causing pain, uh, don't, you don't want to, you, you probably should stop doing that. But like creaky and banged up, yes, that is pretty normal. However, it's not necessary. You don't need to feel like that. It is normal to feel like that because a lot of people don't consider what I'm gonna talk about with the rest of this answer, but it doesn't have to be that way. So first of all, you wanna learn the difference between good and bad pain. So pain in a muscle belly, like a burning pain when you're lifting weights. I'm sure most people, if you're listening to this, probably know what that feels like. That pain is good. You wanna be able to push through that pain in a controlled but safe, but also like a, effective manner. You want to be able to push through that pain. Bad pain is like a sharp pain in your joint or dull pain in your joint that hap- that you feel the day after, or two days after your training. Common places for this are, you know, you do a heavy push day and you do a lot of barbell exercises or you do a ton of overhead work and you just don't have great mobility for it. You have that little like I'm sure many of you have felt this. You have just like a dull pain in your shoulder joint or both shoulder joints. Hopefully it's just one shoulder joint. Well, hopefully it's not at all, but usually it's just one. That That's not good. Whatever, and, and it's hard to identify what is causing that pain. It takes some time. It takes some experience and some knowledge in order to identify that and actually stop doing it and work on the muscles, joints, and Uh, potential imbalances that could be causing that pain for a while so you can get back to doing the exercises you enjoy doing but yet knowing the difference between good and bad pain super important sharp pain joint pain things like that we don't want so in order to avoid this especially as you get older especially as you train for your for longer and longer decades and decades you need to start considering more stuff with your workouts. You need to start really thinking deeply about what you're doing, what your goals are, what your intentions are. So in my opinion, the two most important considerations for this are exercise selection and exercise execution. So technique, form, and focus. Um, Exercise selection is, there are, you know, there are, Exercises that are generally considered the best exercises for each muscle group or the best exercises for strengthening a part of your body or overall strength. And they absolutely, and I agree with most of these. However, it's kind of a little bit more nuanced because what works really well for one person does may not work really well for you. So just because your buddy is a really good bench presser and gets massive pecs from bench press doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work great for you or back squats or any exercise for that matter. So 
spending some time and really focusing on what exercises that you can, what exercises you can feel in your target muscle and the muscle that you want to work. And also what doesn't beat you up and make you super fatigued. So stimulus to fatigue ratio, you want to be stimulated, but you don't want to be super duper fatigued. A little bit of muscle or muscle fatigue is great, different than systemic fatigue and nervous system fatigue, cardiovascular fatigue, etc. Fatigue that you kind of build a recovery debt from. So you want to find exercises like that. You don't want that. You don't. If you do, even if it's a great effective exercise, and the next day you have joint pain. So like, say you do a back squat, the next day you wake up with knee pain, well, that's probably not the best uh, exercise for you to use right this second. It doesn't mean you cannot use it forever. We'll get into this in a later question, but it, it, you shouldn't you shouldn't feel that way. So choosing the best exercises for you, take some time, take some knowledge, take some uh, you know trial and error, but it's very important, especially as you get older. And then execution, you know, I'd beat this one up, but a lot of people just go to the gym and exercise, like just go through the motions and check the blocks and don't really think about how their execution feels, looks, or what it's going to do to them in the future, what how it's going to make them feel. So really practicing exercise is super important. And if you can start doing this when you're a beginner or uh, intermediate, then even better because Muscle memory is a real thing. So once you really lock in your execution, there are always improvements to make. You can always get better. But if you lock it in early on in your lifting career, you're going to be set up for success, much more success in the future. Um, Those are the two most important, but there's some other things too. So sequencing, sequencing also gets more important as you get more advanced and more and older. The exercises you do early on in the workout versus uh, later on in the workout, it's almost... As you get older, for most people, unless you are a athlete of some sort or if you're a competitive powerlifter or something like that, you almost want to like program in reverse. So what this looks like is, you know, say it's a leg day, you instead of like doing your warm up and going straight into heavy barbell squats, maybe you do your warm up, then you do, you know, some hamstring curls, calf raises, maybe some leg extensions or goblet squats and really get your legs warmed up and your joints warmed up so that when you go into that barbell squat as your third, fourth, fifth exercise, yes, you're going to have to swallow your ego and lose, use some less weight. But it is going to be just as effective because your muscles are a little bit fatigued. They're still getting tons of stimulus. You probably, when you have a pump in your muscles before going into an exercise, you can connect mentally to those muscles better. Um, and then your, your joints are just more warmed up. They're more lubed up. And I know that sounds like really rudimentary, but it's a, a real thing. Like you, you want to have a lot of blood flowing to that area. You want to be able to feel those muscles and you want to over time. I'm not saying you want to lose, use less and less and less weight, but you kind of want to make the same weight or make whatever weight that you're using feel as hard and heavy as possible instead of just trying to go for as much weight as possible and you know boost your ego and get attention because you're so strong so that's super important volume generally volume is kind of although like most meta analyses and studies say that more the the more experienced you are the older you get the more volume you need i disagree with that pretty wholeheartedly because i think it's kind of on like a u-shaped curve or a bell curved um when you first start out, you don't need that much volume. You do want a lot of frequency um, because you want to practice these movements, but you don't need a ton of volume to make gains. As you get more advanced into like the intermediate uh, range, you want to increase the volume because A, you're practicing more. B, you need to keep gaining muscle. So, so uh, increasing the volume can help with this, but also you're not like, you're not advanced yet. So you don't have the ability to make your, your reps are not as high quality as they possibly could be because you're just not there yet. You don't have the experience for it. So intermediate lifters, you know, three to 10 years into your lifting career, you probably want to continue to add a little bit of volume over time. But once you get older, once you get more advanced, 
once you get more experienced, you won't probably, because your reps are just, and your sets are so much more deliberate and so much more effective, and you're using a lot more weight because you've gained strength over time, you don't need, in my opinion, as much volume. And there are other fitness professionals that agree with this as well. You don't need to be doing 20 sets per muscle group per week. You don't even need to probably be doing 15 sets per muscle group per week. You probably can get phenomenal gains as you get older on eight, I would say six to 12, depending on your strength, depending on you know how dialed in you are, six to 12 sets per muscle group per week on average. So it's kind of like paradoxical, like a lot of people will say, you know, more experience means more volume or else you're not going to make any more gains. But I disagree with that because you're just able to train closer to failure with intensity. And, um, you know, you're, you're just you're, the quality of your reps, the quality of your sets and the quality of your exercises are just so much higher. You don't need as many sets and lower volume is going to not bang you up as much. The fewer times you put a muscle through a range of motion, if you can get the same gains with two sets as you can with four sets, then you should do two sets because unless you have ideal, pristine, perfect technique, which I don't think most people in the world don't have, it's eventually the more times you do something, the more it's going to bang up your joints, etc. So focusing on that intensity and not so much adding volume is huge. Rep range as well. Uh, a lot of people will say high rep range means you know more gains. Um, or high rep range is better for longevity and better for decreasing joint pain, de decreasing, you know, the feeling of being banged up. I disagree with that. Also, if you can stay in the five to 10 rep range, again, this goes back to just how many times you're putting yourself through these ranges of motion and how fatiguing a high rep set close to failure is compared to a set of eight, for example. So for the most part, sticking in the five to 10 rep range occasionally sometimes higher occasionally sometimes lower just depending on the day depending on the lift is usually a good idea and then some other things that don't have to do with lifting notice how all the things i just told you about are you know your execution in the gym i mean you can work on your mobility for sure and i do recommend not everyone needs mobility work but a lot of people do i certainly need mobility work the the further you can move a muscle through a range of motion under control the better off you're, the better you're going to feel, the better you're going to move, the better you're going to recover. And it's just important as you get older and older. So, and then there's lifestyle things. So your sleep, your nutrition, your supplementation can all play a factor into this. If you're not sleeping much, your body's going to just be more inflamed. You're going to feel more beat down. That's just a fact. If you're eating uh, a lot of processed foods or if you're always in a calorie surplus, it's just it, it, your body's going to be more inflamed than it should be. If you're drinking a lot, things like that, is they, they all raise inflammation quite significantly. So you want to really be focused on eating mostly whole foods and eating foods that you digest well and things like that that make you feel good and not just you know eating crap, drinking all the time. So that's super important. And then you can supplement, but I mean, supplements are like the, kind of the last ditch effort. Uh, there's fish oil is great for joint health and not feeling banged up curcumin uh, is a decent supplement you can try things like collagen protein although you know studies are mixed on whether that really works or not so those are things to consider but it's going to really come down to what you're doing in the gym and being really intentional with it next question jamie yort how to how to recuperate from the flu so i can go back to working out so sorry to hear that you're sick. Um, hopefully it goes away soon. The thing, the best things you can do, honestly, are pretty pretty simple. Like there's no real magic magic uh, ticket to returning back to health fast. So obviously resting and chilling out, not doing stressful stuff, getting as much sleep as possible, drinking as much water as you possibly can. Nutrition, it's it kind of depends on how you feel. Um, I wouldn't like force feed yourself, but when you do eat, if you're, if you're hungry, absolutely eat and just keep it pretty healthy. You want to be eating whole foods. You don't want to be eating a bunch of comfort foods, even though it may be very tempting because you don't feel good. You want to eat something to make yourself feel better. It's not going to make you feel better like sickness wise any faster if you're just eating crap. So definitely focus on whole foods. There are some supplements you can take. 
again, like they're, they're not like magical cures, but they definitely can help. And I recommend taking most of these things like all of the time so that you can strengthen your immune system and hopefully combat getting sick like this as often as you do, if you get sick often, but just basically just make your immune system stronger. So zinc, magnesium, vitamin A or vitamin C, vitamin D, uh, things like that. There's elderberry. You can take elderberry when you're sick. I wouldn't take elderberry every day, but you can definitely take it when you're sick. These can help a little bit and they might take a few hours or maybe a day off how long you stay sick. So definitely something to consider. Uh, movement and working out. I wouldn't, if you have the flu, it probably means you have like a fever and stuff like that. I would not recommend working out or training hard, but you can move like if you if you get feel bored and you're just laying around in bed you can definitely move around the house you can get outside get some sunlight that's going to help you for sure it'll it'll improve your mood it'll make you sleep better it will you know raise your vitamin d levels so if you can get outside and just do some light movement that's awesome too um and then just time you just have to wait it out like hopefully you have a strong immune system and it's fighting hard and gets better as soon as possible. Um, but yeah, you just gotta be patient. It sucks. And make sure when you get back into training that you ease back into it, probably don't do like, don't start off right where you left off before you get sick. Cause you are, you probably lost a little bit of, you didn't lose a, like a lot of strength. You didn't lose any muscle, but, um, you definitely lost a little bit of skill. Your body is still probably in like a somewhat suppressed state. So if you get back into it and you go too hard, it's either going to set you back or make you injured or make you, you're going to be sore for days. So really ease back into it and take it slow. Hopefully those things help. The Omega Project, my dude. What's your favorite cheat meal? So I personally don't do cheat meals and here's why. Um, I used to, when I first got into health and fitness and nutrition, I used to, you know, follow like the bodybuilder bro way of eating where I would eat clean quote unquote clean, AKA like really bland foods all week and usually in a calorie deficit. And I would always just look forward to the weekend so I could have my cheat meal or my cheat day. Um, and that kind of was like this restrict binge pattern and mentality that it put me into, which I did not enjoy. Um, it's not, it's not good for your relationship with food. It's not good for like, if you're always living for the week, it's like people who don't drink during the week, but they're, they just look forward to Friday so they can just go out and get hammered. Believe me, I've been there too. Um, it's just not a great way to live. So, uh, and also like as soon as you, for me and for a lot of people, this is why I don't recommend cheat meals for most people. As soon as you introduce a, you know, process really palatable, great tasting food into your day or into your, as your cheat meal, you tend to crave that for like the next day. You tend to crave it the day after it kind of like opens the floodgates for like more cravings. And it's really hard to get back on track for a lot of people. Now I know this, the person asking this question and he's super fit, really strong, super lean and a very high performing individual. So clearly this using cheat meals works really, really well for him. And it does work well for other people as well. It just, for the most, for most people, it, I don't recommend them because it kind of like for the things I just mentioned. And also it kind of implies that you're like doing something bad, like the word cheat, like, Oh man, I'm breaking the rules. It's not a great thing for your relationship with food. It just isn't. Another thing, like a lot of people, if they start a weight loss plan and they want to start eating clean, they'll like immediately they'll ask their, if they like hired a coach or a nutrition coach or whatever, the first thing they'll ask is like, when is my next cheat meal? Like that's not the way you should be looking at this. You've spent years and years and years making yourself overweight or obese so why do you think like six days of eating perfectly and then all of a sudden you get back to a cheat meal is going to help you? It's just not. It's probably going to open those floodgates and make you make that cheat meal turn into a cheat day, turn into a cheat weekend, turn into falling off the wagon. So that's generally why I don't like cheat meals and generally, you know, um, 
why I don't recommend them to to most people. However, if you've done it in the past and it works really well for you, absolutely, there's nothing wrong with it at all. It can be a it on on paper scientifically, it can work really really well. Just the behaviorally and mentality wise, it tends to not work well for the majority, but for the minority it can. So what do I do in order to not need cheat meals? Well, I have all these foods that are not quote unquote healthy. They're not necessarily, you know, super nutrient dense. They're not, I don't eat them for my performance. I don't eat them to feel really good, but I still enjoy eating them from time to time. So what I do and what I recommend for most people is to just include these foods into your, into your diet. So into your regular diet. So like have small amounts of some of these foods on a regular basis. That way you don't feel like you're restricting yourself from them forever. And then you're just waiting for that day where you can just go to town on it. That can be just a really good strategy. Like my, I would say like my, my old favorite cheap foods, um, were like pizza, Chinese food, peanut butter, ice cream, brownies, things like that. Um, and now I just, if we're getting pizza that night, I'll have a few pieces of pizza and I'll be happy. I won't eat a large pizza and then a whole tub of ice cream. I'll just eat a normal amount of that food or a small amount of that food. In the case of like peanut butter, there, peanut butters used to be terrible for me. I, I would eat like an entire jar of peanut butter, like ice cream from in, in one sitting. And that's just not, I would feel terrible afterwards, not healthy. So now I just eat a little bit of peanut butter every day and I have no issue with I never feel the urge to overeat or binge eat. Now, if you have like an eating disorder where you restrict, 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 and then binge, I'm not an expert in that. And I, I know I've been there before. Um, I don't think I have, I didn't have like a full on eating disorder, but I definitely, when I started fasting, when I was younger, I would definitely binge eat quite often and it just wasn't a good cycle to be in. So that's what I would recommend for most people. Um, but if you like the, if you like the bro style, clean eating, and then uh, you know a cheat day or a cheat meal, and it works for you, go for it. Just most people probably won't. Monica M. Smith, do you think under the desk treadmills are a good investment? So, overall, probably, yeah. If you, especially if you work long hours at a desk, you know it's way better than it's. So if it's probably better to stand most of the day than it is to sit most of the day. I wouldn't say it's great to stand all day long. You can definitely get some pain and imbalances if you're standing all day long, but switching back and forth between sitting, standing, kneeling, um, uh, and then walking. If, if you want to go the extra mile, uh, no pun intended, then yeah, you can definitely consider getting this. If you struggle to get your steps in and you know you need to up your activity level, this can be a great hack. Um, and if you work long hours, it's far better to do this than it is to just hunch over a computer and sit still for hours and hours per day. Um, there are plenty of studies that show that walking or light movement can increase brain activity uh, quite significantly. It's a pretty profound effect. I personally learn a lot better when I'm moving around. I think a lot better when I'm moving around. If I am feeling like brain fog when I'm trying to work in the afternoon and I go for a 10 to 30 minute walk outside, I come back and I feel a lot more dialed in. So walking and light movement can be great. You don't have to, you know, use it all day long. Um, I, I haven't used one of these, but I can imagine that certain things that you're doing at your desk probably would be a little harder if you're if you're walking. I know you're this these things are you're walking pretty slow while you're doing all this thing, all this stuff. But like for example, like right now, if I wanted to podcast while walking, I'm pretty sure these things are really quiet too. If I wanted to podcast while walking, I could probably do that. But if I was like typing or something like that, I probably wouldn't. So if you want to purchase one of these, I don't think they're you can get them for pretty cheap relatively speaking like they're not i think you can get them for less than 500 bucks which ain't bad uh, it's definitely a good investment for your long-term health you know how much i talk about walking if you do get one i still recommend trying to get outside for one walk every day at least maybe two um, just for all the other benefits of being outside uh, which i've you know if you listen to almost any episode i've talked about that so 
probably a good investment for a lot of people, uh, something to consider. Um, but yeah, get outside and at least once a day. Next question, non-sequitter NC. Sorry if I mispronounced that. How to get sunlight in the winter if working shift jobs. For example, a 12-hour day shift registered nurse three times a week. So I missed. I totally misread this question at, on Instagram and answered it kind of as if the way I misread it. So I thought she was talking about night shift work. It's actually day shift work, but it makes sense uh, three days per week. If you are, say, starting your work shift at 6 a.m. and your work shift doesn't end until 6 p.m. when you're going to work, it's dark. When you're coming home from work, it's dark. So, you know, I definitely like, is this ideal? No, but it's definitely better than the way I answered it on Instagram, working the night shift. Real life is a thing, like we have to work, we have to do certain things. Like there have been plenty of times where I've gone to work when it's dark and come back from work when it's dark and it's just the nature of the beast and you can't just be perfect every day and get out in the sun like right after it comes up for 30 minutes every single day it just for a lot of people that's not realistic so try and do a few things so try and do it on your days off try and get that sunlight so that's you know four days out of seven you're getting sunlight in the morning and or during the day and or in the evening you can not necessarily make up for it, but it's far better than just saying fuck it and not trying to get any. So definitely do that. And then you can, on those days, just focus on your other pillars of health. So your sleep, your stress management, your nutrition, movement, and exercise. And if you can, like, you know, on lunch break or snack break or whatever, if you have any breaks whatsoever during the day, maybe get outside. It, it, getting sun in the morning is ideal for sleep and mood, but it's Far better to get some sun sometime during the day than it is, you know, to really stress about getting it first thing in the morning. So, and yeah, just maximize those days off and, you know, you should be fine. Now, if you want to really optimize yourself and you still have to work these shifts, there are lights, sun mimicking lights, there are red lens lights that you can look into purchasing that won't be a replacement, but they can actually help um, mimic the sun and give you some of the same benefits. You're not going to get the exact same benefits, but it can help. So like, for example, if you get one of these sun mimicking lights, just turn it on in the morning while you're getting ready and it kind of wakes your body up and tells your body that it's day and that you should, you know, get going. It can improve your mood, things like that. I haven't used one of these. I don't have any brand recommendations, but it is something to consider. And then red light therapy has tons and tons of benefits. Um, and it including like not necessarily mimicking the sun, but giving you some of the same benefits if you are unable to get in the sun. And this goes for people who just, you know, can't really get in the sun in the, in the wintertime or ever. If you live in a city and you're just surrounded by buildings, you can't get like actual direct sunlight. These things are definitely worth considering. Next question, R. Wade, 1985. Do you prefer lat pulldowns or weighted pull-ups for overall strength and size? So I like both, to be honest with you, and I like both for most people. Um, we'll go over the pros and cons of each, and then I'll just give you guys like a recommendation. So the pros of pull-ups are they're more applicable to like real life, especially to certain populations, military tactical athletes, law enforcement, OCR racers, CrossFit, other competitors that need to be able to pull themselves up and use their body weight and develop that strength and that ability to do. They improve your body weight like strength, obviously. Uh, if you're strong compared to your body weight, that's just a good life skill to have. And your body control, you kind of have to control yourself if you start a lot of people, when they start doing pull-ups, they kind of swing back and forth, and it teaches you just how to, how to engage certain muscles to control yourself better, so that's great, too. Pull-ups, I would say, are uh, a little bit better for, like, overall strength, especially if, you know, like, when you start lifting, maybe you're using um, band assistant or the machine-assisted pull-ups, and then you go into body weight, and then you can start loading them. I would say they're because they are less stable and you actually have to use, incorporate more muscles than you do for a lat pulldown, I would say they're a little bit better for overall strength. Um, 
but not necessarily muscle. Usually muscle gain exercises, the more stable, the more braced you are, um, the better it is at pure hypertrophy. But generally speaking, yes, people want to gain muscle, but that's not the only thing they care about unless they're literally like a professional bodybuilder. So that I would de- that's a reason I would definitely include pull-ups. You can you can definitely they're versatile. So you can do assisted pull-ups, you can do banded pull-ups, you can do body weight pull-ups, you can do weighted pull-ups, um, and you can also you know switch up the grip. And I do recommend switching up the grip. So your palms away or prone is um, the standard pull-up, like your palms are facing away from you. You can also do no, neutral grip pull-ups where your palms are facing each other, and you can do supinated grip pull-ups where your palms are facing you. Those are chin-ups. You can also do, and this is the gold standard in my opinion, is some sort of rotational pull-ups. So whether that's on Olympic rings or they make at my work, I have these uh, big squat racks that have pull-up. They basically have handles that rotate. So you're rotating through that range of motion that can be way better for um, shoulder and elbow health because you're able to rotate. So definitely... If you're going to do a lot of pull-ups, I recommend switching up the grip quite often. And even if you're strong, you can definitely do assisted pull-ups still. You can do body weight pull-ups, and then you can start overloading them. So, yeah, I, I would say those are all the, the pros of pull-ups. Pros of uh, lat pull-downs. So they're easy to use. Like, anyone can sit on a lat pull-down machine and just start. It, I mean, they're easy to switch the weight. Like, you literally just put a pin wherever you want it and super easy to load, super easy to use. That doesn't mean they're easy to use with correct form, but they are, you know, I think they're less intimidating for it's less intimidating for someone to sit down on a lat pull down machine, especially if they're not, if they're kind of a more of a beginner. Um, and I just, that's my opinion, but I think that most people would agree with that. You can also use multiple grips, just like pull-ups. You can do individual handles. You can do, you know, a standard pull-down with your palms facing away. You can do pull-downs with your palms facing you. They make a lot of different handles that you can switch in and out on these lap pull-downs. In my experience, uh, just helping people get stronger, uh, they are easier to progressively overload than pull-ups because, again, you're just grabbing that pin and putting them in there and they they just don't involve as much uh, internal stabilization from your body because you're sitting and you're braced with into the machine so that can be better for muscle building not necessarily strength or functionality also in my experience these are better for shoulder and elbow health than pull-ups they people just don't seem to get as banged up from these as they do pull-ups and it's probably because they're easier to do with good form the form is easier to learn uh, generally speaking with these but not always i mean yeah i would say pull-ups better for strength in real life application and lat pull-downs better for muscle but overall like Pull-ups do have some cons. So a lot of people, like I said, don't do them right. They roll their shoulders forward. They use momentum. They hang down on their joints. And then every time they go back to the bottom and do the dead hang, it's it's just uh, stress on the joints instead of actually keeping your muscles engaged. So that can cause problems in the shoulders, cause problems in the elbows. And it's just really common if someone does tons and tons of pull-ups for a really long time and never switches out of them or changes their grip, things like that, you're probably going to run into shoulder or elbow pain. So that's just kind of the nature of it. Um, the pull-ups can be difficult. Like for, No matter what, some people are just always going to struggle with pull-ups. And if that's you, then there's no, there's no shame in doing lat pull-downs. There's also no shame in using bands or assistance at all. Um, I, I do recommend it. Honestly, you get, in order to actually activate the muscles that you want to, you can get better activation if you have a band because it's keeping your body in a good position um, to actually go up and contract the muscles that you're supposed to be contracting. So um, they can be difficult, but that I mean, there are ways to make them easier so they're definitely just more advanced there are some cons of lat pulldowns too 
it just doesn't transfer um, to real life strength, real life application quite as much. Uh, but honestly, overall, I would just do both. You don't have to do both in the same workout. In fact, I would probably recommend not doing both in the same workout unless you're like significantly switching up the grip, um, like doing regular pull-ups and then supinated grip chin-ups, things like that. Um, but I would I would prefer to do like if you're doing both of them, I would do on your first pull day of the week, for example, you do pull-ups. On your second pull day of the week, you do lat pull-downs. Or you can just rotate them in and out of your program. So four to six weeks, you do pull-ups. Four to six weeks, you do pull-downs. That can work well too. So they're both good exercises. And the lat pull-down gets a lot of um, unneeded, unnecessary, and unwarranted hate but i think it's totally a fine exercise Uh, the pull-up's a great exercise too so consider doing both of them and getting good at both of them next question it's convene i get a sore upper trap when i overhead press should i sub it for something else so again we want to do that soreness first pain thing this the question said soreness but if is he talking about sore or pain different so if you're getting pain however obviously stop doing it this goes for any exercise and i'm assuming he's talking about an overhead barbell press or military press a standing military press so this exercise is a great exercise when move when executed properly however it is not a great exercise for everyone in every situation uh, it's one of the most technique and mobility and stability requiring exercises in existence. Um, And a lot of people just don't have that yet before they start loading it and loading it and loading it. They wonder why their shoulders hurt, even though it's this great exercise. So I'm not not saying that no one should do a barbell overhead press. I'm just saying it's not not for everyone at this time. Um, But there are some things that things you can work on to make it a good exercise for you if you take the time. So a lot of the issues with it, just like I said, lack of mobility, lack of stability, and not just shoulder shoulder mobility and stability, but your upper back, your thorax has to be mobile and stable. Your core has to be very stable. Your glutes have to be firing. Your low back, all these things have to be really firing. It's a, it's a compound lift that involves more than just your front delts. So all those things have to be mobile and all those things have to be stable the fixed position that your hands are in on the bar can also be an issue. Your the Generally speaking, if your hands are in a fixed position, your shoulders and elbows are just more likely to be stressed out a little bit than they would be if your hands were, you know, for, for example, on dumbbells, able to rotate or on a machine that rotates or things like that. So that can be an issue, especially if you don't have the, those mobility and th- stability things I was just talking about. Improper execution, this lift is not executed properly by most people. Um, there's a lot of technique and a lot of practicing that has to happen before you start loading it because improper execution combined with heavy load, combined with fatigue, is just not good. Uh, a very common injury or not necessarily injury but just like pain point for this lift is just in your ac joint and where your ac joint and humeral head kind of meet hingement basically when you're doing an overhead press too much or incorrectly those rotator cuff tendons kind of get inflamed and obviously inflammation causes pain so Overall, for now, I would stop doing this exercise because it causes pain, right? That's a rule. But you don't have to do it forever. You don't have to stop it forever. I would work on shoulder mobility, shoulder stability. So this could be anything from hanging from a pull-up bar, band pull-aparts, no money pull-aparts, overhead walking, overhead standing with a with a weight, whether it's a kettlebell or a dumbbell, and just stabilizing and stacking that shoulder muscle can be huge shoulder dislocations or pass-throughs with a band or with a PVC pipe are great. Anything for upper back like prone YWTs with either um, light weights or a PVC pipe, those can all be really good to increase your upper back mobility and stability. Handcuff type rotational stuff when you're in the prone, things like that. 
And also while you're taking this break, I would work on your side delts quite a bit too because a lot of people have overdeveloped front delts. Uh, quite a few people have overdeveloped uh, rear delts if you do a lot of back work. But a lot of people don't have good side delt development. So you want to really focus on you know, doing laterals, cable laterals, things like that to develop your side delts while you're taking this little break from overhead barbell press. Uh, if you want to keep doing front delt work, a lot of people don't need extra front delt work because of what I just said. All your pressing exercises for your chest also work your front delts. So they, they, there's a good chance they're overdeveloped. But if you do want to continue doing front delt work, you can. The two, my two favorite exercises for front delts that are usually pretty shoulder healthy are a high incline front delt shoulder press. So you're not on an upright bench. You're probably on 60-ish degree bench, maybe 70. Um, and you have dumbbells, one in each hand, and they're in a more of a neutral grip than, you know, elbows out to the sides and your palms facing away from you like they would be if you were holding a dumbbell. They're in this neutral grip and that's just a lot. The fact that you're not pushing directly overhead because you're at an incline and the fact that you're you're able to move freely because you have dumbbells and it's a neutral, more of a neutral grip is much more friendly on the shoulders and you still get great front delt development from it. Yes, it's not as functional because you're sitting down, but I mean, having injured shoulders is not functional. So <laughs> consider that. Um, and then when you re eventually, you know, if you want to reintroduce overhead press, absolutely can. I do recommend starting with a direct overhead. If you're going to go directly overhead, just put that bench that you were using for this, the incline, just more upright. So you're just sitting up straight. You can do that with dumbbells. That'll get you back into that directly overhead motion, but also allow your hands to move freely. You can also... I recommend a most people if they're going to do barbell overhead press to start with a Z press where you're sitting on the floor with your legs out in front of you and you are it really just and you're doing an overhead press in that position it really just requires you to use a lot more uh, put a lot more thought into your technique you're not going to be able to use as much weight the Z press is a super underrated lift to get good at the overhead press. And then finally, when you get good at that for a while and you're feeling good, your shoulders feel good, you can reintroduce the overhead press. So hopefully that helps. Cronin 207. Seated incline curl with arms behind you versus chest supported spider curl. Same or different? So these are different, but they're both uh, very good exercises. Obviously, they're different lifts, but like I, I think he's asking you know, do they train, are, are they redundant? Do they train the same thing? So yes, they both train the biceps, but they're different. They train the biceps in a different way and should be used for different reasons. So the seated incline. Now this is basically, I, I, I see people doing lots of lifts wrong and this is probably one of the top ones. Um, there are multiple reasons why people do it wrong, uh, but I'll go over a few of them. First, I'll talk about the benefits of the seated incline uh, bicep curl. It trains the bicep in the lengthened position. The lengthened position, kind of the stretched out position. And it also hits both of the bicep heads, the lateral and the medial head, sh short and long head, really well um, compared to a lot of other exercises. So this is a great exercise if you do it properly. Most people do it wrong in a few different ways. Either they have too low of an incline. So like you'll see people doing this on like a 45 degree incline bench and that's not necessary. Uh, your, your arms are going to be way further behind you than you need them to be. Um, and it can be a little bit stressful on the bicep tendon and the shoulder. So you really only need that same bench I was talking about earlier, 60 to 70 degrees. That's really all you need to get that when you let your arms hang down with gravity, you just want to feel a nice stretch in the front of your biceps. So a pretty high incline is all that you need. Another way people do this wrong is they, when they start the bicep curl coming forward, their upper arm or their humerus also moves with it. And it kind of defeats the purpose of having the, your arms behind you. So if you're starting with your arms behind you, and then as you curl up, they're coming up either right next to you or even in front of you. You're defeating the purpose of the exercise essentially. So if you're using like 40s or 50s for this movement, you are going way too heavy. You're not doing it right. 
Chris Bumstead, who is three-time Mr. Olympia Classic Physique Champion. I've seen him doing these this exact exercise plenty of times on his Instagram, and he uses like 30s, maybe 35s. So you don't need heavy dumbbells for this. And that's another reason why I like this exercise so much is it's very stimulating, but it's not very fatiguing. So yes, this is a great exercise for that length and position. Just make sure you're doing it right. If you want to see an example of how to do it right, I have a, I will link this on my YouTube, on my show notes to my YouTube channel. I have a demonstration of this exercise. I'll also do the next one too. So spider curls are another great bicep exercise. These train the shortened position um, and they really focus on like the peak of the bicep or the inner head, the short head, whatever you want to call it. The shortened position or the flexed position um, Generally speaking, you want to train the lengthen and the shortened position, and you don't really need, you can, but you don't really need to focus much on the mid-range position if you're doing a lot of back work because a lot of rows, pull-downs, things like that train the mid-range position really well. So spider curls, basically you're on an incline bench, 45-ish degrees, and your arms are hanging down, you're face down, you're prone, uh, your arms are hanging down in front of you, and you're just doing a curl like that. So, and you can use dumbbells for this. You can use cables, you can use easy bar, uh, whatever you, I like dumbbells the most, but you can kind of use whatever you want. A lot of people do these wrong too. Um, They will, again, use that momentum where their arms are hanging straight down and they'll bring them way up in front of them just to gain that momentum. Or they'll, I don't know, this one's a little bit harder to mess up than the first one. Uh, But I see people doing these kind of weird, like they have like a really high incline or a really low incline or uh, I don't know, they, most of it has to do with momentum. A lot of people think like other people care about how much they can bicep curl, but nobody cares. I promise you, nobody cares except maybe your best gym bro. So use light weights for these. You don't need to use a ton of weight, obviously progressively overload them and get stronger and stronger, but I mean, bicep type work, side delt work, rear delt work, things like that, your progressive overload is going to be very slow if you're doing them right and you're not using tons of body English and momentum. So overall, these are great exercises. If you only did these two bicep movements, maybe occasionally some sort of hammer curl variation, uh, as your bicep exercises, you would get great bicep development. There are a couple other ones that are similar to these that I like as well that I throw in from time to time. One is the facing away cable, like dual cable curl where the the cables start behind you. And again, putting your your arms are behind you. So you're in that lengthened stretch position. That's a great one too when done properly. And then a hammer curl done properly. A lot of hammer machines are not made very well. So I like doing single arm hammer curls on a steep incline bench. You want the incline to be steep because if you've seen a torn bicep video before, it was either on a preacher curl probably or a a deadlift with a over under grip. So preacher curls can be dangerous, but if you do them right and you don't go too heavy again, don't use momentum and use the right angle, they can be great. Those work the shortened position. But yeah, that's really all you need. Maybe some hammer curls to work the, uh, uh, what is it, brachialis. But yeah, that's about it. Um, So definitely do those exercises and keep it up. All right, last question from, of course, my wife, Monica M. Smith. Thoughts on the liver king? All right, you asked, so here we go. I'll keep this pretty brief. So if you don't know who the liver king is, He is a very fast growing, or he has grown very fast on social media. He endorses his supplement brand. He owns multiple businesses. He's like this really crazy personality who is like outrageous. But in my opinion, in a lot of people's opinion, well, he has 1.7 million followers. So lots of people have this opinion. He's really entertaining and funny and crazy. I think his message overall is pretty damn good. It's pretty spot on. He has these nine ancestral tenants that I can't think of off the top of my head, but it's basically telling people that they need to exercise, they need to move, they need to get sunlight, they need to eat more whole foods, more animal-based products, sleep well, um, get cold, get hot, be a good, uh, have good relationships, be a good family man, things like that. And I totally agree with 
that all those things, maybe not in the doses that he recommends them, but all those things are things that a lot of people can focus on and improve their lives. And he has improved a lot of people's lives that, that follow him. And I think he can will continue to do so. So that's taking your, he, he's all about taking yourself out of your comfort, comfort zone. And we live in this world right now of like extreme convenience and extreme comfort. And when you do that, when you're always comfortable and you're never challenging yourself, your, your character, your, you don't build character, your character worsens, your self-esteem worsens, you get more anxiety, you get more depression, things like that. So I do like that message a lot. So overall, good message, not a little bit over over the top for sure, but just if you just listen to what he recommends, it's it probably will help you a little bit if you do it in a smaller dose than he recommends. So what happened? Basically, he's been claiming to be natural, uh, not on PEDs for since he became huge on social media. He came out on social media like a little over a year ago, and he's already got 1.7 million followers. So he's obviously grown like crazy. He was already really successful. He was already a uh, makes 100 million plus per year with all his businesses. Um, but he's always denied PED use, and there was his bodybuilding coach that was helping him with his PED use uh, leaked his emails that he sent him with all the doses and all the things he was taking, etc. This went out on Derek for more plates, more dates uh, YouTube channel. He's like a big fitness YouTuber. If you you know type in more plates, more dates, he's got probably more followers and subscribers than almost anyone in the fitness industry, and he's very smart and super thorough with the videos that he does. So he made this one hour long video on how the liver king has been taking steroids this whole time. Here's the deal. Anyone with any experience in the gym, anyone who's been training for a while, anyone who knows anything about fitness and physique, things like that, you can tell by looking at the man that he has every single sign imaginable that he's using some sort of PED uh, protocol. So I already knew like, even though he denied it and, and lied about it, I already knew. A lot of people already knew. So the the only problem I have is just consistently denying uh, the fact that he was on PEDs on like big platforms and like big interviews on podcasts, things like that. Um, if you're going to sell something that is supposed to make you healthier, bigger, stronger, more jacked, and you don't, and you're not transparent about your use of PEDs. Most people are going to see right through it, but not everyone. I mean, out of that 1.7 million people that follow him, I'm sure some people thought, hey, if I take this liver supplement or if I get cold and hot every day or if I train like a barbarian, as he likes to say, I'm going to get jacked. So that's really my biggest issue. I mean, I I don't care that much. Like, good for him. He's made a bunch of money. He's entertaining. He has a lot of supporters. He has a lot of haters as well. Um, but he's still going to make millions of dollars regardless. He's still going to continue to have tons of followers, tons of support. He's not going to, you know, it's not going to hurt his reputation all that much in the long run, in my opinion. So, I mean, overall, like I said, the only problem I have with it is the fact that he like lied about it. I don't have an issue with performance enhancing drug use. A lot of people use PEDs. It has this like stigma around it that it's like the worst thing ever. Lying about it is not good, but using it, I mean, if it's your body, you can do it. Like people go out and get hammered every weekend. People eat until they become obese. Like these aren't good for you either, but they're considered acceptable and normal. So I don't know. I think more people need to, uh, if you're going to talk shit about someone using PEDs, you should at least educate yourself first. I have a big problem with people say, oh, he's on steroids, doesn't count, blah, blah, blah. He still has to do the work. He still trains harder than 99.9% of people in the world. He's still a savage. Um, and I don't, I mean, he, he apologized about it, but overall, I don't care all that much about it. I mean, it happened. I figured it would happen eventually. A lot of people figured it would happen eventually. Maybe it was a plan, part of the plan. Who knows? But I don't think it's that huge of a deal. If you want to follow the Liver King, 
take everything he says with a grain of salt, but also kind of look at the bigger message and maybe it can help you a little bit. But if you don't want to follow him, that's fine too. Anyway, that was uh, over an hour. I haven't done an over an hour episode in a long time. That was the last question. Thanks, guys, so much for listening. I appreciate the support. If you have a question, go ahead and follow me on Terminator underscore training on Instagram. And each week I do a Q&A. So ask a question on there. I'll answer it on Instagram. And then I'll answer it here on the podcast. Keep the great questions coming. And hope everyone has a great weekend. Until next time, Terminator out. Thank you for listening. If you like this show and want to start crushing your goals, please subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And for more fitness content, follow me on Instagram at Terminator underscore training or check out my website, TerminatorTraining.com. All right, guys, Terminator out.